acquisition challenges, I'm going to skip except to read you the headlines. Uh, they're attached to their prior medical team. They have stigma um, and fewer support services and other barriers. You know, we'll see the kid whenever they come in. The adults will say, oh, you're 15 minutes late. Sorry, that appointment slot is gone. Uh, LGBT friendly care is also really crucial because the vast majority of adolescent HIV patients are young gay men or bisexual. Um, again, this cohorting signal that you're happy to discuss gender and sexual identity, um, looking at electronic medical records, do they record gender and orientation, um, and making sure you include imagery. Um, uh, LGBT youth in general have the same developmental tasks as all youth, and most grow up to be healthy adults. But the second one is they have to develop this healthy, integrated identity amidst negative stereotypes, prejudice, often without family support. And that's the key, is the lack of family or community support. Um, you know, if you're a young black male growing up, your parents are going to have the discussion with you about race, racism, vulnerability to the police. Who's going to have that vulnerability discussion with you if you're a young gay man? It doesn't always happen, so it's not your family that's going to support you. So we need to figure out where we pick up the pieces. You can't be gay, you'll shame the family. How many funerals I've been to where a young person has died of HIV and no one mentions HIV. So there's no chance to learn about it in the church and in the community, so it is a challenge. Uh, prevention. US, um, Prevention leaves youth vulnerable. Um, we have a mass media that promotes sex, but not safer sex. Strong and sustained promotion of condoms is difficult to have in the media. Abstinence-only sex education is ineffective, but legal in many places. And parents and many support comprehensive sex education. And let's remember that behavior change is difficult. For how long has my New Year's resolution be more exercise and lose weight? It just, you know, it's not easy to do even what we know is best. So having safer sex is not easy to expect of young people, yet we need to do it to protect their lives. Uh, young people, I don't think I have anything to. Um, anything to worry about. I assume they're negative, if, and if they're positive, they wouldn't put you at risk. You can tell a lot by appearances. So just because young people think they can see who's HIV positive or at risk, don't be the provider who also thinks that and says, oh, you're too pretty to have HIV, or, you know, and these are actual quotes that I've heard. Please don't use your judgment to decide who's at risk, because I, I can't do it, and I, I've been with these kids for a long time. Uh, routine testing, we've talked about. Um, we developed a streamlined approach to routine testing, advise, consent, test, and support. And testing, a dialogue can be one minute or less, um, you know, and even less if you're just using absolutely routine. Um, and we have ETE stands for ending the epidemic. We have a lot of good roots. Let's make sure no one is lost along the way. Testing needs to be more routine. We still make it exceptional and cumbersome. Treatment saves lives, but not all have access or can be ideally adherent. PrEP prevents infections, and condoms are viewed as old school, yet they're crucial for STI. And youth challenges, this is sort of my favorite line, which is there's a new generation every five years. 
The young people who are in high school today weren't there um, five years ago. And if we're going to just keep putting out the same messages, we're never going to reach the new generation. So we have to listen, we have to understand, we have to invest and be creative in putting out messages that will work for youth. For example, we're talking about PrEP and um, you know, it's, it's about preventing HIV. Well, what do young people think of HIV today? Are they afraid of it? Is it viewed as deadly? So therefore, what are the messages we're going to use based on what they truly think? And we don't always take the time to do that. We're doing a market research study to try and improve our prep. Um, HIV is no longer feel, feared. Young people feel HIV is both inevitable and that they're invulnerable to it. And we've covered the other issues. So I just want to say thank you very much. Um, I remain very optimistic that we, with the right investments and attention and engagement of the next generation of providers and the current generation, that we really can reach and help young people. Thank you. So anybody wants to come up and ask a question, please come to the microphone. While we're waiting for the cards, I'll lead off with the first question. You know, you talked about PrEP and you mentioned that, you know, foreskins put young men at risk. And in Africa, we're very aggressive about promoting, you know, circumcision. Is there a reason why we don't promote it more actively in the U.S.? Or have you seen programs that are successful? Um, I think there's a couple of reasons why uh, voluntary male circumcision is not a strategy in the U.S. Um, number one, it's a different epidemic. In the United States, 90% of men get HIV through male-male sex. And it's thought at this point that the insertive partner in anal sex is not going to be at risk in the same way that the receptive partner is. Whereas um, in vaginal sex and in a setting of much more inflammation um, in the vagina, the risk to men is much higher. So that's one part. The other part is uh, circumcision is very culturally based. Uh, Muslims get circumcised, and we noticed that there was much less HIV in Muslim communities. Even in South Africa, different tribes have different circumcision rates, which, and when they do it, often it's a male ritual at, during adolescence. So. It really is, in a lot of ways, epidemiologically based or looking at where this epidemic is the highest. So it seems much, and the US has higher rates of circumcision in general. So We had three questions about PrEP in adolescence. Do we know what effects uptake and how effective it is? So I think what we've learned over and over again is adherence is the key to effectiveness of PrEP and antiretrovirals. So unfortunately, young people are lagging far behind in adherence and in prolonged adherence. And you know this concept of seasons of risk, when are you truly at risk for HIV and should be taking um, HIV meds and when are you not, is one that's very hard to get adolescents to wrap their brains around. So. 
Oh, I've been in such a long relationship. We just celebrated our second anniversary. Really? Oh, yeah, two months we've been together. It's, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. You know, this is the love of my life. So, you know, and then they break up for a week. And, okay, that risk is over. And they don't realize that while their partner was out, they were probably with other people. So there's a real misunderstanding and I think we don't take the time and we don't message properly what the importance of sustainable taking prep is. So that's one piece. There's a number of reasons adolescents lag behind in prep and in HIV care and I think it medically there's really no difference but it all comes down to the behavior of taking the pills of believing they're really there to help you of believing your provider so to and of having a good reason i don't know you know i've hear, heard many young people say that why should i take a pill to prevent this when i could take another pill to treat it you know, why do this ahead of time? Well, one is lifetime and the other is, you know, short term. But that's hard for them to fully incorporate. And it's hard not to kind of laugh and judge a little bit, like when, when they come up with these reasons, but you can't. And you just have to, re my fa why? Why do you think that? What's your thought? What's your belief? Are the most effective questions to get to this. But honestly, no matter how much medical information and reality I give, it doesn't always work, so you need peer support, you need the navigators. Um, this is not a doctor level problem, this is much more a communication navigator, peers from your age group and your community. In, in, in adult clinics, we've had a lot of success by engaging our mental health providers mm -hmm. and trying to improve the care cascade. How about adolescents? Is that easy to do, or are there specific <laughs> barriers around adolescents? Yeah. Um, I think mental health and substance use are two of the biggest barriers. They're also two of the places in which we have the least resources. Um, you know, almost every young person we see smokes pot, and they don't even view that as a substance use disorder. You know, the next most common substance is alcohol. And it's really hard to convince people that that's a problem. I mean, they kind of see that their will and their get up and go is not as high when they're smoking weed every single day, but that doesn't convince them not to do it. So I would just say we don't have effective treatments for the substances that young people do use. Um, methamphetamine was much more prevalent in adults. Now it's moving to young people, but not at the same rate. Uh, heroin, we just aren't seeing as much as certainly in the Northeast. Uh, opioids are emer emerging as a bigger problem, but we don't have adolescent-friendly and available treatment. The last question we're gonna have time for Surveying adult patients, we find that somewhere around a third of them report histories of sexual abuse when they were adolescents or children. Yes. Are adolescents and children ready to address these issues when you see them? And if yeah. so, what successful or what yeah. success have you had? Yeah, the last time we surveyed this, it was about 40% of both males and females had prior histories of sexual abuse. Um, lately, the sort of biggest time of revelation comes with emotional breakdowns, 
and kids are realizing this when they're hospitalized in a mental hospital to realize why they've been anxious and afraid all their life. It's very, very often repressed. It's often people that are still in their family. You know, their stepfather is still living with the mother. The mother's not willing to give that up, so it's very hard to feel like you've been believed. So I would just say we're mostly at the identification of it as a problem, helping young people to see it, and providing supportive therapy, but we're not, we don't have breakthrough treatments or evidence-based treatments that can really help the teenagers that need this help. And for those Thank of you, you who submitted questions, I'm sorry that we didn't have time for all of them. If you could please talk to Dr. Fetterman at the break and make sure she doesn't get an opportunity to eat her lunch, we'll help <laughs> her with that 2018 uh, annual resolution. Thank you. Thank yes. you, Dr. Fetterman.